0: Hi, entrepreneistas, it's Steph here. And I want to be sure you've had the opportunity to reserve your ticket to our Entreprenista Founders Weekend for our Wealth and Wellness Retreat presented by Chase Inc. We will be hosting our event at the Ritz-Carlton in Orlando, Florida from May 3rd to May 5th. And you are definitely going to want to be there with us. This is going to be your opportunity to build relationships with some of the most powerful women in business. And I can share with you firsthand that the best business relationships are formed when we really get together in person. And I just know so much business magic is going to happen when we're all together from educational panels, networking activities, to wellness activations, inspiring keynotes and breakout sessions. This is going to be a weekend you are not going to want to miss. So you can reserve your ticket today over at entreprenista.com forward slash founders weekend. We only have a few tickets left. So be sure that you reserve yours today. That's entreprenista.com forward slash founders weekend. I cannot wait to see you there.
1: The most important thing is choosing your partner wisely like this is and I know you know this, but This is a marriage. It's not just a partnership that you could, in a year from now, be like, yeah, it's not really working out. I'm going to walk away.
0: Amanda Schutzbank is the co-founder and general partner at Willow Growth Partners. While working at venture capital firms, Amanda saw consumer and non-tech brands being put on the same path as technology brands and realized that this needed to be fixed. So in early 2020, Amanda left her job at a venture capital firm to start Willow Growth Partners, which provides early seed funding for values-based consumer brands. Tune in to hear all about the world of venture capital and Amanda's entrepreneurista journey. Coming up, Why a one-size-fits-all approach does not work in venture capital. The difference between venture capital and private equity. How to identify the right co-founder. And Amanda shares her tips for pitching to investors. This is the Antreprenista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Amanda, I am so excited to finally sit down and have this conversation with you. I feel like I have to catch up with all my old friends now recording on a podcast because (laughs) everyone is so busy. So (laughs) I'm so glad that you're here and I can't wait to share your... Entrepreneurista journey and story because it truly is incredible. So thank you for spending uh, 45 minutes with me today, Amanda.
1: Yes, I'm thrilled to be here. I think it's been at least five years since we've been together in person. Maybe. I don't even know. I can't count. I lost track of time, especially with the
0: COVID I know. Girls, I have no concept of time anymore. But what I will share with our listeners is how we initially met and connected through an entrepreneur group many, many years ago. And you, of course, did not have your venture fund at the time you were working in this startup or startup corporate world. I would love if you could share a bit about your background prior to now launching your fund. Yes, I'm happy to.
1: And I think we met when I was running a startup. So it was was those days of the 7am breakfast that we used to do, which was so fun. (laughs) That was the only time we could all get together, right? Everyone was so busy. So I had more of a traditional background. I went to Wharton undergrad. I did investment banking in New York City. I was in the tech group. It was a really fun time to be doing that. I was working on IPOs such as LinkedIn and Groupon and Facebook and Zynga. And it was an exciting time to be doing that. But wanted to, you know, I was most fascinated by how these companies got to that point, how they got to the IPO part, and I really loved the roadshow and kind of the management stories and how they started the company. Um, and so I ended up, not I was thinking about going into venture capital at that point, but decided I needed to go build a company and be more operational before I could be a great investor. So I ended up getting in touch with David Tisch and Adam Rothenberg and begged them to be their associate in the Techstars program, quit my banking job and left the bonus on the table and went and did that for a few months with them. Truly a great experience, kind of like a mini MBA for me in startups and venture and got to be an extra employee on every company in the program. And that was when I joined Karma, which was one of the companies in the program. And it was a consumer product company focused on a hardware and software play to give you Wi-Fi wherever you went. And this was when Wi Fi was not super ubiquitous. You couldn't find it in a coffee shop or the airport for that matter. So it was really solving a great need. And I did everything. I was there for a handful of years and helped with you know all of our marketing and operations and fundraising and finance and, and everything across the board. It was a I think those were the days that we met when we were in the trenches yes. and building yes. companies. <laughs> but yeah, that was super eye opening for me. I loved it, but ultimately wanted to go back uh, to the finance side and so I ended up joining primary venture partners in New York. It was a venture fund. it was a sixty million dollar fund at the time when I joined really to think about what we did after we wrote the check. So what came next after we kind of invested, how did we help our companies and what programs they we be put in place to really help them scale and grow. And then I soon moved to LA. So that's why I haven't seen you in a while. <laughs> but now I'm living out on the West Coast and I, I joined a fund out here, Amplify, which is again, a pre-seed early stage fund focused on consumer investing is, is kind of what I did. Although the, the fund was a generalist tech fund. And soon after that, started Willow. So started Willow in, um, you know, beginning of 2020, which was, we can get more into that, but started my own venture fund called Willow Growth Partners. And we are focused on the first institutional check into these values-led, highly emotional consumer brands and really helping them think about the right way to scale and grow those businesses.
0: I love that you were able to just share how, with your background, one opportunity really led to the next. And it seems like you've been been able to take a lot of those learnings from each company or venture that you were involved in to bring to the next. I would love to hear about that transition point when you realize, you know what, maybe I can actually start my own fund. You know, you were at primary and then Amplify. But what was that moment when you actually thought, wait, I can actually do this myself and build something?
1: Yeah, so a couple of things. First, I I had really seen the need for this type of capital. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners are building physical product consumer brands. So, this is, you know, CPG, putting real products out in the world, true inventory holding businesses. And a lot of those companies were going to tech venture capital at the early stage because they knew they needed to raise money. Maybe they didn't have enough, you know, capital in their own balance sheet to go and bootstrap. And so they said, okay, who's the right early stage capital to go to? And really, if you looked at the ecosystem, it was tech pre-seed funds. And I had you know, been part of the problem. We would do a beauty brand or a personal care brand or something of that nature. And what we did was we would put them on the same path that we put our software companies on because that's what we need to do. So they would raise at the same sort of valuations, same type of next partners who were really tech venture funds and ultimately they would kind of turn around at some point and say okay i want private equity money and it was super eye opening for me to be like i don't know the private equity world at all mm. like the venture world and the private equity world don't really speak and that was where i was like okay there needs to be a fund that's that first institutional check that can really help these types of companies think about the business in a much different way than you would just a straight software company where you're just chasing top line and grow 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 as fast as possible So that coupled with my partner in the fund was kind of the go-to angel investor here in LA. She was the president and COO at Nasty Gal and Shoe Dazzle, if you remember those companies. Yes, of course. Um, Made all the same mistakes and raised at crazy high valuations and so much capital poured into those businesses. And she had left that operating world and was in angel investing with this thesis of, you know, if we could just help these companies you know, quicker path towards profitability, focus on unit economics, not raise so much money, rational valuations, you can get to a really successful outcome. So we had been chatting for a while, you know, I would send her deals and say, we're going to do this one. And she'd be like, don't do that deal, your tech fund. And so it it was a little bit of that for a while. And I I ultimately was like, well, you need to go and start this fund. Like, you need to go and do make this happen. And she was like, okay, you're going to do it with me. And that's how Willow came about.
0: Can you share a bit about the difference between private equity and venture for our entrepreneurs who are early in their capital raising journey?
1: Yes. So venture capital as an asset class was really started to invest in tech companies, so software businesses. That is really what that asset class is for. It's, a, it's meant to take on a lot of risk. A lot of these venture funds have tons of money. And what they're trying to do is have that one or two companies in their portfolio have an outsized return that's what they're you know so they build a portfolio of companies they make a ton of investments they know a lot of them will fail but one or two will be successful and could return the whole fund multiple times over private equity thinks about the world in a very different way every investment they do should return them money so they're going into it with a much different mindset of every single company should be successful and so it's just a different way of investing. It's different types of businesses. Private equity tends to focus on profitability much more than a venture fund will, just by nature of what they're investing in. So it was interesting. Private equity, for the most part, has always been investing in consumer. And it was just up until you know maybe a decade ago that e-commerce became a buzzier word, right? It had been around for a little bit, but these venture funds, and I was kind of part of this, we, we were investing in e commerce and that that kind of got a broad lens to it. So you could do you know, a marketplace, you could do consumer tech, but consumer brands specifically probably should not have been taking that capital from those tech funds. They should have just been staying in the private equity world. But truly what the problem is, is private equity doesn't come down that early. So mm-hmm. they want to see you doing eight, 10 million, 15 million, 20 million top line before they're even interested and probably somewhat profitable. So there was no good capital for that early stage, those early stage businesses and had to help them get to that point. So that's kind of how the ecosystem has evolved. And I would say we kind of carved out this space for Willow where we can be the first institutional capital and really help you maybe take money from private equity later on and not just venture capital.
0: Thank you for that explanation. I think that's super helpful for entrepreneurs to hear. So with your business, you are a business owner running a fund. You also have to fundraise to build your business, similar to how many entrepreneurs who are raising capital are fundraising as well. So you basically have to do a little bit of everything, just like our founders that are raising. What have you found has been... The hardest thing for you, or the most challenging, as you've been building Willow.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, time management is is definitely a, you need to have a lot of that skill set. Um, I mean, look, any anytime you're building something, it's a self starter mindset, right? You, you kind of eat what you kill, so you have to put in the work, the hours, the time, and you have to be able to juggle a lot of different things and switch gears very quickly. And that's always just challenging, right? Like we'll be on a fundraising meeting and then we're going to a board meeting to help a portfolio company. And then we're taking a new call with a new prospect, a prospect that a company that we could invest in. So it's just switching gears often gets tricky, but the counter to that of what I like given my past is I'm hyper-focused on one thing right now. Like, of course mm-hmm. we invest it across categories, you know, health and wellness is kind of an overarching theme and beauty and skincare, personal care, but then food and bev, pet, home, baby. These are all kind of categories we do, but all within that is consumer brands and they kind Mm -hmm. of look and feel somewhat similar. And so we can start to draw parallels and help our companies uh, across the board. Whereas when you're at a generalist fund, you tend to have to be an expert in a lot of different things, like, you know, all the way from fintech to healthcare to consumer. And I found that to be really challenging. So I'm happy to be hyper-focused where, where my interest lies and where I have the most experience and be able to invest behind that right now.
0: When you say time management can be challenging, I think many of us can relate to that because we're all wearing so many different hats and trying to switch gears all of the time. Have you found different business tools to help you or different strategies to help manage your calendar or your time?
1: Honestly, no. I feel like I I, I just do my best every day. If you or your, your whole, all of your listeners have good advice for me, please send it my way. because <laughs> It's something that I'm constantly trying to just perfect. And I mean, no, I have not, you know, some of my friends have outsourced that, you know, they'll have admins or help with calendaring and things like that. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm just too type A, but I've never given some of that stuff away. And so probably my own fault that I put too much on my plate. So if anyone has any good hacks or tricks for me, please send them my way.
0: I'll tell you some of the things that I have done over the past year, because like you, doing a billion different things and, you know, go from a podcast recording to an investor meeting to a team meeting. And I have found that time blocking on my calendar is very helpful. So every single week, there are certain blocks of times for different goals and initiatives that have to get done. And I try very hard not to like undo those time blocks so if someone's like oh I need to talk with you but like I have a specific time block to do something that's a priority that I have to get done learning how to say no to those things it's really hard because you want to say yes to everything but I found that to help and then also do you use Calendly I do not. See,
1: these are hacks that I have just not done yet, but I know I need to. I know I need to get over myself and, and do things like
0: that. Calendly has been super helpful because if you think about like, if you add up all the time that you spend actually sending your own calendar invites, you can just send, like if you time block your Calendly, like you could have on Calendly, you can have a time block for meeting potential new people that you want to invest in. And you have those on your Calendly set for certain times during the week. So if you send it to them, you say book here. Now you don't have to go create that actual invite. So that saves time. Those are my, uh, those are my two tips. And I, fi- I finally gave in and have someone helping with my email management.
1: It's for me, I have to just give in. I just have to let go, relinquish control and and let someone help me. I think that's, that's kind of the, what I'm hearing. This, at least.
0: this is your sign. I'm, I'm telling you, it took me until this year too. I wanted to be in control of everything, do every single thing. And I'm like, wait a second there's other people that can do this better and faster and tools that make things more efficient. So, all right, this is your sign today. When you mentioned you have a co-founder that it seems like you had a relationship with prior, but had you worked together before you started the fund together?
1: Yes, so we had worked together prior to Willow. I was at Amplify and she was an angel investor in town and we had co-invested in a handful of deals together me from the fund and her from her individual investments. And we had worked on some of those companies together. So that was really how we got to know each other. But even prior to starting the fund, we spent a lot of time together. And I think, you know, some of your questions that we were talking about before, the the most important thing is choosing your partner wisely. Like this is, and I know you know this, but this is a marriage. It's not just a partnership that you could in a year from now be like, yeah, it's not really working out. I'm going to walk away especially in the fund world, right? Because these are 10 year life cycles of a fund. And so you have fund one, fund two, fund three, and they're layered on top of each other. That turns into 20, 30 years that you're working together potentially. So we spent a lot of time, probably more than most, and and maybe because we're two women and not two men that we did this, but we really got to know each other. We got to know each other's families super well. We talked about future things that could come up, these kind of edge cases of what could come up as we build this thing. And and how we would react and and grow from that. And so I think it's been phenomenal so far, but mostly because we did all of that kind of early building work.
0: That is so important. And I'm glad that you shared that. And Courtney and I, as you know, we talk about this all the time. And I feel like people are always coming to us with Asking for co founder advice because most times people can't believe they're like, wow, you've been in business together for 10 years. Like, what's the secret? And it's like what you said having these initial upfront conversations and communication, and really having a lot of those like tough conversations, the things that you are uncomfortable talking about, like you need to talk about those things before you start a business with someone. Because if you can't talk about them in the beginning, you're certainly going to have a hard time talking about them when things come up. And actually, when Courtney and I started Socialfly, we didn't know any of this. So like we learned along the way. But now through our experience, we always share this because, I mean, I'm sure you set up an operating agreement ahead of time and you planned all this out, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, of course, there's like the legal components of it as well. But I mean, even more than that, that's just that's just the legal stuff. I think the openness and transparency and honesty that we both wanted to have. And by the way, we don't have anyone we have some part-time people on the team, but no one we're hiring right now um, to have bring some people onto the team, that's going to flow through as a culture thing for us. Like we are radical transparency and honesty between each other and between everything that kind of goes on. And, and also with our portfolio founders, Like when we meet them and we bring them on, we are super transparent about what our goals are and what their goals are. We have those conversations up front. And I think all too often in this, you know, capital raising world, whether it be venture capital or, or private equity, that doesn't happen all too much. So we really wanted to put a stance in the ground and and just say, this is who we are, this is how we are. And and if you wanna come work with us, this is, this is what you're gonna get kind of thing.
0: What you see is what you get, I love that. Yeah. Up next, how Amanda was able to fundraise virtually during the pandemic, plus her tips on pitching to investors. Hey, entrepreneurs! it's Steph here. As a founder, or really as a woman in business who is creating their own success, whether you're just starting a business or you're scaling it, dealing with finances and money can often feel very overwhelming and intimidating. We have all been there. But according to fellow entrepreneurista and personal finance expert, Varnoosh Tarabi, that fear can surprisingly be very helpful for your future success and wealth. Furnoosh is the host of the So Money Podcast and the author of the best-selling book, A Healthy State of Panic. She gets candid about all things finance with leading business experts every Friday on her podcast. And she dives deeper into the nine biggest fears that hold us back both professionally and personally in her latest book, including rejection, loneliness, fear of missing out, and failure to name a few. She offers a wealth of knowledge and tackles the relatable feelings we all experience about money. So you are definitely going to want to subscribe to her podcast. And if you want to meet Farnoosh live and in person, be sure to join us at our Entreprenista Founders Weekend event from May 3rd to May 5th at the Ritz-Carlton in Orlando. Farnoosh will be speaking and she cannot wait to connect with you. You can reserve your ticket at entrepreneista.com forward slash founders and we will see you there. Amanda, I know you had mentioned that you decided to start Willow Growth right at the beginning of 2020. And of course, we all know what happened a few months in to 2020 with the pandemic when you were set out to start raising your fund. Can you talk about that experience and how you completed this capital raise in the middle of a pandemic where no one knew what was going on in the world?
1: Yes. So I left my prior fund, friend- January-ish of 2020. And we started fundraising February of 2020. So we had met a handful of people in person, not many. It was maybe four, six weeks max that we were in market. And then of course, March of 2020 hit and We had actually sent out these documents that you send when you're raising a fund called subscription documents where people can sign and say, this is how much I'm going to invest in the fund. We had sent those documents out on March 8th, and I think the world shut down on the 13th or something like that. And so we kind of looked at each other. We were like, what are we doing? But you know, we were like, no, we're doing this. Like we can do this. We're just going to keep going. Worst case, we don't get to the goal. Let's just go. And we did. We ended up pushing our way through to a first close May of 2020. So a few months later, those people all kind of came in. We did a tiny first close. So the fund, our target was 25. We did a first close on six. And we were like, let's just do it, get into market. We did our first deal. And we just did subsequent closes after that. Um, It was early mornings into late nights of Zoom on every time zone. In some respects, it was kind of nice because we had the attention of people, right? People were sitting home and their calendars all of a sudden freed up. They weren't on planes. They weren't in airports. They were traveling all so much. So we could get on people's calendars and do back-to-back-to-back-to-back to back to back to back Zoom meetings from 7 a.m. till 7 p.m. And that's just what we did. I mean, there were some days where we both, you know, at 8 o'clock at night, we'd be like, should we regroup about the day? And then we'd be like, we cannot talk anymore. We <laughs> Can't talk need anymore. <laughs> to like go in a dark room. So it was a lot of that. And, you know, we just persevered. We powered through. And we ended up closing the fund about 12 months later. So May of 2021, and we were oversubscribed at just under 30 million for the fund. So it was a great, I mean, great success story that two women who decide, you know, it's hard enough for two women to raise a fund, let alone throw a global pandemic in there, but we were, we were determined to prove everyone wrong. And so we did do that.
0: What was the hardest part about the raise? Yeah. I
1: mean, you know what? It was, it was somewhat, we, we kept it fun. The hardest part is always hearing no, I think, but we never really took it too personally. We had thick skin and we were kind of like, all right, not a fit, no problem. Let's move on to the next. And you know, it's some of the people who said, no, we never took it as a no. We took it as a no for now. And by the yep. way, they're still kind of in our orbit colleagues of us, maybe they co-invested with us in some ways. And so we treated every individual that we met and every family office that we met as just like a potential future partnership. And having that outlook on it just made it a lot easier to kind of be like, okay, it's not a fit for you. That's fine. It's a fit for someone else. Um, so just doing that. And, and I think, you know, the, the hardest part is probably the amount of conversations that you have to have. And so it just nonstop and and over and over. And and so um uh, repeating yourself and listening to yourself talk over and over was definitely the <laughs> hardest part for me. I was like, I cannot listen to myself say the same story over and over again.
0: And you have to be excited about it every single time. Every like it's time. the first time that you've told the story. Exactly. I always tell people my background in theater and musical theater and being able to be on stage and perform, I feel like has been the biggest asset to being in business because as a business person, like that's literally what you do every single day, whether you're in front of your team, investor calls, you're talking oh, yeah. and you're selling it and you're, you have to be on and perform and doing that from 7am to 7pm. It sounds like during the fundraise it's and talking the whole time is quite exhausting.
1: <laughs> it is. And I, you know, I got some really good advice along the way. Someone who I forgot told us this it was one of our existing LPs, but they said, you know, you're going to, as you do this, you repeat yourself so many times, the same exact story and the same exact, that story worked and it got someone to invest. And that's great. And then you go to the next one and you're like, Oh, I'm so sick of hearing myself tell the same story. I'm going to change the story just for my own, you know, my own entertainment. I'm going to just like switch it up a little bit. And you then you get nervous and you get, you kind of stumble and the story isn't what you know. And so I found myself like telling myself over and over it might seem repetitive to you, but to that new person, it's net new. So don't feel like you need to change your story and make it a different story every time because that person's never heard your story. And so just yeah. you just gotta have to do it over and over again and and repeat yourself and and it will lead to success. And so, you know, there's tweaks along the way that we made, but for the most part, stay on track.
0: So I have a question about the tweaks along the way that you did start to make. Was that based on feedback that you would hear from potential investors or just based on what you were learning along the way and how you were evolving the pitch and, and the business?
1: Probably a little bit of both. I would say people gave us feedback along the way that we took or didn't take. You kind of have to, as any entrepreneur, you get a lot of feedback along the way. and You have to decide this is good feedback. This is bad feedback. I'm going to take that one. I'm not going to take that one. So yeah, we got a lot of feedback along the way. And I would say, you know, as any entrepreneur does, you have to sit down at the end of the day and say, okay, I got all this feedback. This was good feedback. This was bad feedback. I'm going to incorporate this. I'm not going to incorporate that. And I think we did a lot of that. And we did a lot of kind of introspection and just talking to each other and say, you know, we think this is resonating. We think this isn't. But for the most part, to be totally honest, what we said we were going to do, we did. I mean, COVID actually really accelerated a lot of our thesis. We were investing in values led consumer brands. And so they were taking a position on things like clean, non-toxic formulation, sustainability, ethical labor standards, whatever it might be. And as you saw throughout the pandemic, consumers cared more than ever about the brands they were buying from. They don't just care, you know, the product of course has to be superior, but they really truly wanted to shop with brands that were aligned with their values and they wanted to know what their values were. And so if anything, COVID kind of accelerated the position we were coming in at, and I think it almost helped, but definitely little tweaks along the way. And just in how we said things and how we delivered the story that always happens.
0: Any tips you can share for founders that are going out and pitching and raising capital right now in terms of what you as an investor look for in a pitch, especially since most of these pitches really are still on zoom right now. I know some things are happening in person, but still a lot on zoom, I assume for you too.
1: They are. We will. We'll take a first call on Zoom. Zoom is a very efficient way to meet a lot of people, right? And and I feel like what was most interesting is a lot of my investments were in the LA local area because you met in person, right? And then Zoom allowed us to... Now my investments are all over the country and we're continuing to do that. So we're eager to invest in some of these other cities that are not New York and LA and San Francisco, right? And so I think that that's a net positive, but... Yeah, I mean for Willow we're looking for brands that are doing kind of that 1 to 5 million in revenue in the categories I mentioned, values led brands, true product differentiation, but more than that we're looking for a platform, like a, a brand that you can build a platform on. It's not just a one-hit wonder, it's not just a one SKU. It's it's usually multiple SKUs that live on a platform where there's an embedded community of some sort. So, you're not just spending on paid acquisition to acquire customers. You have this kind of organic lift because of who the customers are. And you've built this kind of brand loyalty with your customers. I think that's really critical for us and what we look for a lot of the time. But, and then of course, you know, founders are everything. We view all of our partnerships with our investments as partnerships with our founders. So, we are on the road with you. We are taking a board seat and a board observer seat. We really, really want to help out and and be there as kind of an extension of your team. And so we look a lot at that and just who's the the person running or people running it and how are they going to kind of evolve over time and how are they going to hire people and keep capital in the bank and all the things that they need to do and really just get to know that person before we make an investment.
0: Can you share any tips for founders in that first pitch meeting? What do you like to see what are things that are big no-nos when talking to an investor for the first time. Oh, that's hard. Everyone's different. I don't know that I
1: have any. I like people to be themselves, you know, like as much as you can be yourself and kind of do what you were going to do, not just put on a show. Like I never you can always tell when someone's just super rehearsed and just putting on the show. But I would say the things that we really want to see and this this goes across the board but just know your numbers like there's often times where we'll say okay what's your margin and the, people just don't necessarily know the numbers cold like you could be the brand visionary and that's great and maybe that's your place and there's a counterpart that comes in that's more of the finance person that's great but you still have to know your numbers you have to know your burn you have to know your cash position you have to know your margin profile so we want we want to see that people know those things and then the other thing we probably look most for is just as, as I mentioned before, openness, transparency, honesty, super important for us. So a willingness to be collaborative, I would say. Mm-hmm. And we don't have all the right answers. We don't pretend to at all. It's your business. We know that you know the business cold way better than we ever will. But we want someone who's going to at least have a collaborative kind of conversation back and forth after we make an investment to like, we're, we're on the same team. And that's kind of what we look for and, and the types of founders we like to invest in.
0: I love hearing that. Thank you for sharing that, Amanda. I know you've invested now in, I believe, 16 companies, you said, over the past two years. Is that the right number? 16 out of
1: the Willow Fund One, yes.
0: I don't want to say who are you most excited about, because I know you're excited about all of the companies that you've invested in. But is there a particular company or brand that you want to talk about and share why you decided to invest in them and uh, maybe some cool things that are coming up?
1: Yeah, I'm going to talk about Coterie and I'm not sure if you know the brand. I know you're a mom as well, but so Coterie is a really exciting one for me. So I had met uh, Frank, the founder, prior to starting Willow and he had just launched and he, I, I actually became a customer of the products before I even invested. So I think I got you know some influencer posted on Instagram and I was like, oh, these look soft and white and beautiful. Let me try them. And I, I did. And once I touched and felt the diaper, I was immediately blown away. I was like, this is two ten 10 times better than anything on the market that currently exists. And then, you know, I met the founder and, and dug in and I got to know him over a couple of months. And thankfully we started Willow right at the time where he was raising his first round. But really what was so exciting to me was he had spent two years and two and a half million on re-engineering the diaper from scratch. So he truly had true, true, true product differentiation and I started to see in the mom community, a lot of people just like murmurs about it, right? Like they, they were super aligned with the values of the brand. They had sustainable materials. They loved the product. There was a lot of brand affinity, brand love, and, and which drove word of mouth organic kind of lift. And really, you know, he had a terrible website. He'll, he'll be the first to say that at this time. Like it, it was just terrible to check out on. And still, seven, over 70% of people were coming back month over month to check out, to get these diapers. And it was pretty consistently month over month because you you go through the diapers, you would come back Mm -hmm. every like four to five weeks. So I saw an immediate need for, okay, this really lends itself to a subscription business. So fast forward, we, we did that deal in May of 2020 and have been working with him ever since. And he's had exponential growth, unlike anything I've ever seen with, unlike anything I've ever seen unit economics and metrics because of this super sticky subscription. So after 12 months, you know, I mean, over eighty-eight. I think ninety percent of people are still there as a subscriber mm-hmm. once you've kind of gotten them through that funnel. So, true product differentiation, brand love, uplift from community—like this—is a super exciting one. And um, of course, you since launched wipes and the pants, which are kind of of a replacement for a pull-up. And um, of course, I'm still a customer, so I can be a supporter from both an investor standpoint and a customer standpoint.
0: Do you typically look for brands that you personally love and would use? Is that something that's important to you when you invest?
1: Yeah, you know, I try to check myself and my bias all the time, right? It's hard investing in consumer. It's hard because we are consumers, right? And so mm-hmm. every day you're 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 buying things here. And so you, you have your own personal opinions on things. But I'd say yes and no, right? So it, when it works to the advantage of in this example, and same with Lalo, which is another one of our baby mm-hmm. brands. I was a customer of Lalo. I had seen that moms were obsessed with this brand and anything they were launching, people were like, I need that. And so, yes. And when I can tell and it's relevant to me in the immediate, I will use that. But then there's often times where I'm not the demo and I need to, you know, we do a lot of digging on customer reviews and we talk to customers and we try to truly understand where that person's coming from. And so it's not just things that I know and understand, but of course, when, when that happens, it makes it a little bit easier.
0: Definitely. Coming up, the number one thing you need to have when talking to investors. All right, Amanda, this is my favorite segment. I am going to ask you a few rapid fire questions. So the first word or words that come to your mind, are you ready?
1: Oh God. Okay. Yes. You're putting me on the spot. (laughs) Let's do it.
0: Here we go. How would your friends describe you in three words?
1: I would say juggler might be one is that I'm trying to think of creative ones here. But the ability to juggle different things at any given point in time, no matter what it is, tenacious is probably one and a leader.
0: I love that. All right. Very important question. I think I know the answer because I see what you're drinking. Coffee or tea? (laughs)
1: <laughs> lots and lots of coffee. I have met many sleepless nights for the past seven months with my second child who doesn't like to sleep. So I at least finish one venti coffee a day, which is not healthy.
0: <laughs> what is your favorite business tool or solution that's really helped you grow your business?
1: I love superhuman. I'm a big superhuman fan mm-hmm. for email. So I would and Zoom. I mean I have to say Zoom, just because it's allowed me to invest all over the country, which is amazing.
0: Love Zoom. Cannot imagine what business would have been like uh, before the past two years with everyone using Zoom. Do you have a hidden talent? I have many talents,
1: but I don't know that they're hidden, I guess. Yeah. I like to say my hidden talent is I can adapt to any situation with any person at any given point in time. Um, And I don't know if that's so upfront, but kind of like this chameleon, you know, put me in a situation with people I don't know. I'll adapt to that. Put me in a situation with people I do know, et cetera. You know, going from being a mom to running a fund at any different hour of the day—just the ability to do that—I think is is should be at least highlighted as a talent.
0: (laughs) That is definitely a talent. All right. Finally, last question for our rapid fire: favorite app on your phone that you cannot live without?
1: Well, these days it's probably TikTok because. And not just because I just get sucked into it, but I, I am leveraging TikTok more and more to figure out what brands are interesting mm-hmm. for us and just like the social zeitgeist and what people are talking about. And I, I try to go deep on rabbit holes on TikTok, although sometimes I get stuck in ones that I'm like, how did I get it here? <laughs> but yes, I think that that's probably most used at this point for me right now.
0: It really is easy to get sucked in those TikTok rabbit holes and Instagram reels. That's another one. You can just be Scrolling and scrolling for days, for sure. All right, back to our regular questions. I would love to hear, Amanda, you are now a mom of two. You're running this huge fund. You're involved in so many different companies. How are you managing all of this? Do you have balance? Is it work-life integration? How do you do it? I... Wish
1: that there was a good answer for that, and I'm still searching for it. So, and I know probably many of your listeners do this on a daily basis, and and a lot of my friends, my working friends, talk about this all the time. It's like you just got to do enough to survive every day. It almost feels like it's just pure survival mode, and you can never be one step ahead, which frustrate as a type A person frustrates Mm. me to no end. But truly, like I just try to do my best on both sides every day. I take every day, one day at a time. And if I did okay that day and I I, you know, if I did really great on one end that day, but not so great on the other, the next day I'll try to flip it. And overall in that week or month, did I do okay? Okay, did okay, check the box and like keep going. And so you just kinda have to you just have to do it day by day, hour by hour, and just try to do the best you can.
0: Yeah, that's what I say all the time. All you can do is the best you can do each day. Just do what you can do and and keep going, right? As long yes. as you keep going, you can't just stop. Yeah, you got to keep going. Yeah, You, you
1: got to keep going forward. That's true.
0: Do you have a way that you're able to unwind and relax at the end of every day? I find for myself, it's very hard because we're like, go, 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 go type A and can't stop. And if we have a down moment, it's like, wait, I'm supposed to be doing something, but have you found a way to actually like decompress and unwind?
1: Maybe. I don't have much time to do that. But if I do, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do a portfolio company plug. We just invested in a non-alcoholic beverage called the mm. which was founded by Katy Perry. And it is a great beverage for a weeknight when you are not trying to drink wine. Cause I could easily, I mean, I think a lot of us during COVID just went to the wine to decompress. And I think that got to be a super unhealthy habit. And so this is a great replacement as a non-alcoholic beverage, but still is infused with adaptogens, which kind of gives you that nice calming effect. And so I will admittedly have a beverage of that. And then honestly, like trash TV, if I had the time is great. Mm-hmm. Kind of like reality TV or, you know, the Kardashians or something just mindless just for even 15 minutes of my time to take my mind off of the crazy world that we live in.
0: Yeah, that definitely is. What would you say you're most grateful for every day?
1: My family and health, I would say. I know I know you also relate to this a lot, but um, what's not mentioned and what was really difficult for me, not only did I raise a fund in the middle of COVID, but my dad also passed away from COVID, smack in the middle. And I was doing IVF, did two rounds of IVF, all at the same time. So... I would say grateful for health for this new baby that I was able to have, which many cannot, and mm-hmm. I've never, you know, I was super blessed to have gone through that journey successfully. So yeah, I mean, every day is just like for me these days. It's you know life is short, and mm-hmm. I try not to get hung up on things so much, and just put one foot in front of the, in front of the next, and just keep going.
0: No, and I'm I'm so glad you you shared that because I feel like so many of us are going through so many things that we don't openly or publicly share. And when those like yourself that have accomplished so much, especially over the past few years, share that you were also going through really hard things with your family, with trying to have a family and doing IVF, like we're all we're all the same. Like we're all just trying to survive and get through and we're vulnerable and being able to, to share and connect to others for me, at least personally has, has really helped me through all the years, through all of the journeys yeah. and challenges that I have personally had for sure. So, yeah. thank you, and for, I, you
1: know, for me, it was, I've always been open about like kind of those two big things that had happened to me on this journey. And maybe I should even talk about it more or write about it more, but you know, like that's true. Like you people, you see people who are super successful and you're like, oh, that looks easy or, oh, they, you know, success came easy to them and you never really know what's going on at the same time. Right. Potentially. And so I think, um, I found a lot of people that had lost relatives and family and friends through COVID by just being more open about it. And then of course on the IVF side, I mean, Mm -hmm. there's a huge community for that. And I found a lot of people that were super supportive and helpful to help me through that. So yeah. Tough times, but the bright side of it was we did raise the fund and close the fund. And on the professional side, things were great.
0: Yep. So like you said, you just, just keep going all you can do. Yes. <laughs> well, I know we could sit and chat for hours about all the things right now, but you have to get back to your busy schedule and taking care of your health because I don't know if our listeners can tell that you're a bit under the weather, but I bet they cannot tell because you are just <laughs> plowing through like Powering we all this. always do, keep but going. Keep, going. <laughs> keep, keep on going. My final question for you, Amanda, is what does being an entrepreneur mean to you? To me, I
1: want to leave a legacy. I want to build a legacy that you know, stands beyond my time. So Willow for me is, I might not always be running Willow. I hope it outlives me. I know my partner, Deb, who's a little bit older than me, certainly really wants that. And so for me, like my mission right now, we want more women managing more capital. And I think Mm -hmm. that that flows through to more women starting more businesses and getting funding. And let's just like keep on going, a brick by brick. And I think part of that for me, and and why I really am doing this and so passionate about it, is just to get more women creating wealth for themselves. Like we need to create wealth for ourselves. Start funds, start businesses, be out there. And I think you know, COVID, while it was great because a lot of us got to stay at home and see our kids more, it also is really hard to work from home, and <laughs> it's really hard to be around and build a business at the same time. And We've seen a decline in women starting businesses just through this, through these times. And so I really hope that, you know, even if I can make a small impact on that and bring more women to the table and creating wealth for themselves, that is doing good in the world.
0: Well, you are doing it, and we are so aligned with both of our missions and doing whatever we can do to help more women, raise more capital, build more wealth, and create the life that they want to have and the legacy. So thank you, Amanda, for spending the afternoon with me and sharing all about your journey and story. You've shared so many you know, really helpful pieces of information and things that I know our listeners are going to take home and, and start implementing in their business as well. Where can everyone find you and follow you and for entrepreneurs that perhaps fit your thesis for investment? What's the best way for them to reach out to you?
1: Yeah. I mean, email is the best. I'm Amanda at willowgrowth.com. And you can see more about willow at willowgrowth.com. But yeah, I say email me, ping me. I'm available and, and would love to meet anyone that fits into our thesis.
0: Amazing. And we will link out to your website and email in our show notes below for everyone. Amanda, thank you again for being here. I'm Stephanie, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Founders are always asking us what has been the secret to our success building multiple seven-figure businesses. Do you want to know how? It's our community. We created the Entreprenista League for founders like you. Our members have access to everything we've used to grow our businesses over the past 10 plus years. To learn more and get on the wait list for when doors are open again, head over to entrepreneista.com. That's entrepreneista.com to get on the wait list.